0: Today we uh, continue to unpack the Decalogue, the Ten Words, as we have been calling them in this series, also known as the Ten Commandments. We're looking at them from Exodus chapter 20. Our focus today is going to be verse 15 of Exodus 20. like the last two commands, this one that we're looking at today is about physical stuff, as the the children's song we sang says, you know, don't don't take things that don't belong to you. There's a front and center physical reality of not taking stuff, but just like the last two commands as well, that it is more than just the negative and the physical that is in view. That as we dig into God's law, and wherever we find it, here in these ten words, but elsewhere throughout Scripture, whenever we dig in to God's law, His commands, His principles, we find that they go even deeper into our soul. That what He wants from us is more than just external, there is an attitude and orientation to life. That the Lord is shaping and molding us into. So, as we dig in here, let's read the abbreviated version of all 10 words from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And skip down to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and then our focus today, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that it is trustworthy and true. And we ask you as Jesus did that you would set us apart, sanctify us by your word. Give us your spirit in abundance and make us today a little more like Jesus. We pray in his precious name, amen. My first uh, real job out of college after barely graduating, told you that story before. Uh, Barely graduating college, I I wound up getting a job in a factory. It was a hot, dirty environment. Uh, And I was working shift work. And it wasn't just shift work where you had to work one shift. It was rotating. So uh, the very first week you're on shift work, you work Monday through Friday, eight to four. Then the second week, You go in Monday through Friday from 4 to 12 every day. And then the third week, you go in Monday through Friday from midnight, Sunday night into Monday, through Friday, 8 a.m. And then you start over again, but you go in on Sunday at 8 a.m. And so it was a complicated schedule, but you kind of get a feel for it. And you never really get a feel for shifting your sleep schedule week in and week out, but You get a feel for what's going on, and as I found out, what they were doing to me. Which is to say, they were stealing eight hours of my life every three weeks. That was my attitude at the time. And I don't know that it was very far from the truth, because if you think about that schedule, you get that long weekend after days, You end Friday at four, you don't have to go until Monday at four, it's wonderful, but then on Friday at midnight... You gotta go back in Sunday at midnight. So you work your shift on Friday after everyone else goes home, and you work your shift on Monday before anyone else gets there. You've worked 16 hours before anybody's worked any time. Right? And that's just if it happens to line up on a weekend. So just the way it worked to make it rotate and go back a day every three weeks, essentially you were working eight extra hours. And the schedule was miserable, but then when that reality sunk in, I really felt like they were stealing from me because nobody had told me this and I didn't understand the implications. And so I had a really hard time, especially I did not know the Lord at the time. I had a really hard time keeping down that inner Robin Hood. You, you have one of those in you? you know, Steal from the rich and give to the poor. Right? I had this attitude of, man, they're just robbing me. Why should I work hard for them? I think we all have that kind of inner Robin Hood, right? That sense of this isn't fair. This isn't right. And so what we do is like Robin Hood, right? We're tempted to steal from the rich and give to the poor, usually ourselves, right? And I find that I justify those attitudes by saying, you know what, they have a lot, or they deserve it, or it's not right, and there's no other way to make it right, and any other thing, and that's the same kind of rationale and logic, right, that we use to to cheat on our taxes a little bit, you know, to pocket that extra change that came to us, to. Uh, Maybe hedge on the insurance claim a little bit. It's this sense of they're not going to miss it, even taking the hotel towels, right? It's, they've got lots of towels. They won't miss them. It's fair, right? I paid for the room. I overpaid for this room. This room wasn't worth the money I paid, right? It's this whole underlying sense of what's fair and what's not. What seems right to us, and how we're being treated. That sort of inner Robin Hood. You get the idea, right? And that, that's where this command really helps us. Because as we dig into it, we realize you know, what is fair? What, what is, when is it stealing? Because of course, yeah, if you take something from somebody, it's stealing. But if you have a good reason, is it still stealing? The the thing is, as we look at this passage, what we we realize is that the Lord owns everything. The Lord owns everything. And He chooses to give some to each of us. So you must not only respect what God has given to others, right? Refrain from stealing, taking it. But also recognize what God has given to you. And I want to look at that First of all, starting with this command <clears throat> excuse me, against stealing. The command against stealing. It's pretty clear, right? It, stealing is, uh, as one uh, commentary put it, taking what belongs to another without their consent or knowledge. Stealing is taking what belongs to another without their consent or knowledge. So when God says, you shall not steal... That's the sense of that word for stealing here in this verse, if you look at it throughout scriptures. As you look through the scriptures, and especially in the Old Testament, you can kind of dig in and see that stealing applies to all kinds of property, all kinds of stuff, you know, sheep and oxen, but also just the things you find along the way, the things you acquire by oppression or injustice. Those are all stealing. It applies to various types of property or stuff. And stealing can happen in, in various ways. You could deceive your neighbor. You could rob, which usually has the sense of a physical uh, taking of something, not merely just when someone's not looking, but physical removal. You could, you could steal by oppression. You could steal by finding something and then keeping it for yourself and lying about it. You see that in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Several cases here. Just listen to what he says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying in Leviticus 6, 2, when a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord and deceives his companion in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him, or through robbery, or if he's extorted from his companion, companion, or has found what was lost and lied about it and sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do, then it shall be when he sins and becomes guilty that he shall restore what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it and add to it a fifth Add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Stealing can be uh, of various things in various ways. And there's even the reality that of stealing human beings. We would call it kidnapping. That it's wrong. It's explicit. It's one of those places where when sadly Christians of generations ago justified the colonial slave trade, they seem to have neglected that verse, which is super clear. That if you steal a person, you are sinning. Uh, whatever the Bible says about slavery otherwise and it's a topic for another time, you can't get around that. To take a human being is Stealing. The punishments, actually, as you look at these things, that stealing is taking what belongs to another without their consent or knowledge. And it's a very serious sin based on the consequences. If you look at the civil laws of Israel for what the people of God who were to dwell in the land, the, the punishments that God said should be inflicted, that one in particular of stealing a human being, according to Exodus 21, verse 16, and Deuteronomy 24, 7, maybe some other places, stealing a human being, it's, you're, you're liable to death. It's that serious of a crime. If you steal and sell what you took, the, the penalties are, are multiplied. If you look at Exodus 22, 1 through 4. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there would be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man gives a neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. The general principle, it seems, in Scripture from these passages and the civil law of Israel was that if you steal something depending on what you do with it the punishments will vary. So if you have used it or profited from it the punishment is higher. So if you steal an ox or a sheep you got to pay back 5 or 4. But if you're if you're caught with it you have to give it back and then again. So actually the 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 sense there is you stole it and deprived that person of it, so now you have to return it and deprive yourself of what you were going to steal. There's there's a sense of justice and fairness in the punishments that the Lord has in the civil laws of Israel. And this all comes together in very clear ways, right, to say that the Lord wants his people to take this seriously, to, to know that stealing is wrong, and it's not something to be taken lightly. And that's all the negative side of it, right? And I want to spend a good bit of our time looking at the positive implications. What, what do you think the opposite of stealing is? Maybe it's Giving? Maybe opposite is not the right word. Instead of stealing, as we think about property and stuff, our attitude toward material possessions, the scriptures give us a wonderful word. And we hear it sometimes, but probably not often enough. And that word is stewardship. So as we talked about the command against stealing, so too I want to talk about the principles of Stewardship. So, as we think about the positive side of the command to not steal, the the principles of stewardship are this that number one, everything is God's. There is nothing you will encounter that is not God's. It all comes from Him. The, The Lord says, You shall not steal because He owns everything, He has a right to speak about how you handle all property everything in creation because it is all his he says in psalm 50 verse 10 every beast of the forest is mine the cattle on a thousand hills he says in psalm 50 verse 11 i know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine rc sproul i think it was who said you know there's, there's there's not one maverick molecule in the universe it's all god's Psalm 24 explains why. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 24, verse 2. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's His because He made it. It's His because He created it. It's His because He established it. It's His because He keeps it. It's His. It all comes from him. Everything is God's. We need to let that principle settle down and sink down into our hearts. It frees us in a lot of ways, right? It's all God's. All God's. That means, secondly, that He can do whatever He wants with it. Do you not feel the same way about your stuff? Right? Right? We had a, we had cause to look up the, the laws of Pennsylvania. You know, if you have someone in your house, you know what what exactly you know do they have to listen to you? you know, that kind of thing. Like, yes, actually the law in Pennsylvania is essentially my house, my rules, right? That that is a, a part of the Commonwealth Code. My house, my rules, right? Guess what? It's all God's house. It's God's rules. It's all God's, and he can do whatever he wants with it. King David, towards the end of his life, was transitioning over power to his son Solomon. And King David had wanted to build a temple for the Lord, you remember, but the Lord said, No, you've shed too much blood, I will let your son do that. But David made lots of plans, he gathered construction materials, you know, he, he he did everything he could to make it possible to hand that over to Solomon and that Solomon would get a great start on building the temple of the Lord. Well, at that very end, as he's getting ready to transition, we read in 1 Chronicles 29.11, as David is, is just in awe of what God has done and what God has allowed David to do, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. First Corinthians 29:11 and then verse 16 of First Chronicles, sorry, First Chronicles 29:16, he says, "O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand. And all is yours." King David sitting on all of these resources. Having worked hard to achieve it. Planning, right? Logistics and negotiations with local uh, neighboring nations, right? Bringing all the timber from over there and the precious jewels and stuff from over there. Ships and and all that, right? David, his sense is is right on track with the heart of God because he realizes Despite all that he did to make that happen, all that King David did, it ultimately was up to God. That David would have nothing if the God God of the universe did not provide for him, did not bless him, did not choose to honor David's efforts. And that's the, the third thing, right? So not only is everything, everything's God's, and he can do with it whatever he wants, but he chooses, God chooses, to share some of it with us. Have you ever thought about that, that everything you have is a gift from God, and it starts with life. What did you do to come into existence? Nothing, that's the short answer. What choice did you have? None. You probably don't even remember the first three, four, five, six, most of the seven, eight, nine years of your life, right? When you really weren't making that many choices. When not not only did God bring you into the world, but he put you in a place and provided people. And not everybody was cared for as well as they should have been. The abiding principle is that God has given us life. We have nothing. We came into the world with nothing. We did nothing to make ourselves exist. We, it's all from God. He shared life with us. Brought us into being. Created us. Molded us. He, found, he, he formed us in the womb, Psalm 139 says. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Knit together. God crafted you. Even if we know all kinds of things about DNA and genetics and all those kind of things, you get right down to it and it's mysterious how that all comes together. The scriptures say it's God actively working it. The one who, who knew you before the foundation of the world. He chose to bring you into existence, to give you the breath of life to create you. So thinking back for a moment, back on this idea of stealing, if, if we're gonna say, as the scriptures do, that everything is God's, and he can do with it whatever he wants, and he chooses to share some, When we think and contemplate and engage in stealing, we're essentially rebelling against God himself. Who has worked in the world. We're we're saying, Lord, I'm not satisfied and content. I don't think you're doing a good enough job. So I have to take matters into my own hands. Well, this is where the idea of fairness enters in. Where essentially, when we begin to complain, that's not fair, and the inner Robin Hood begins to awaken with this band of merry men, right? And say, we need to do something. We need to make them pay. we transgress. We have essentially, in fairness, in this discussion of what's fair, we have evaluated God and said, God, you're lacking. God, you're not good. God, you're not doing right. There's no other answer. If it's all God's and He can do with it whatever He wants, and He has the power to do that, and if He is good, which the Scriptures make super clear, the problem is not with fairness. The problem is with our hearts. In other words, There's a distinction between justice and fairness. And we miss that. Justice is the standard of right and wrong. Fairness is our assessment of how that's playing out around us. And we enter into this realm of fairness and begin to evaluate and judge what they have and what I have, how that went down and how it should have gone down, All those things, they begin to then crowd into this subjective judgment that essentially says, God, you're not doing it right. It's up to me. This was a warning that God gave the people numerous times and the positive direction. He said, look, the day is going to come when I bring you into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to forget me, God says to them. You're going to be tempted to say, it is my power and the strength of my hand that made me this wealth. But you shall remember that the Lord your God, it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with you and to your forefathers. These things are echoed in the, the New Testament as well. Paul says in 1 Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This place enters in where when we begin to talk about fairness it's hard not to feel like we're really saying we're entitled to something. And the, the, the parable we read early, earlier in the service from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, where uh, an employer goes out and he finds workers, right? And he says at the beginning of the day, you guys come work for me and I will pay you one denarius, which is one day's wages. You guys come and you work for me and I will pay you that at the end of the day. So they go out. And they're working hard, right? And then he goes out a few hours later and he sees other people not working. He says, hey, why are you not working? Come work for me. He doesn't say what he's going to pay them. They come and work. He finds people three hours later, all day long until the 11th hour, right, of a 12-hour day. And that last hour he finds more people, brings them out. And he says, you go to work and I'll give you what is right. So an hour later, it's time to pay up. Everybody reports, and he he purposefully says, uh, when evening came, Matthew 20, verse 8, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. So you know he's got something of an agenda, right? He wants to get our attention. Jesus does, reversing this and calling them out first. So verse 9 of Matthew 20, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius, a day's wages. And when those hired first came, the people who had worked 11 hours more, when they came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Denarius? Take what is yours and go. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. It's not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own. If it does not belong to me, it belongs to me, can I not do what I want with it? Answers, yes, of course you can. It's yours. And then he says, or is your eye envious because I am generous? If you want to be set free from the fairness and the temptations, if you want to understand what the command not to steal is about, it is about this, of understanding this God that we serve, who, who owns all things, right? Who is allowed to do with those things what he wants, and he chooses to share some with us, including the precious gift of life, to recognize the generosity of that and to realize, you know what? That what we ought to do is not be comparing what they have and what I have, how we ought to be treated and how we think things should go, but to exercise thankfulness and use everything with thanks for his purposes. That no matter what we see other people have, God has given to us life. If we had nothing else, the question we ought to have is, why? What am I that you have created me, O God? What am I that you would give me life and continue to sustain me? Who are you, God? Why? What is going on? I am thankful for that. To recognize that He has blessed us. Psalm 29 gets into that. So does Psalm 50. That God wants thankfulness in our hearts for whatever we have, to receive it with thanksgiving, and to use it for His purposes. You know, I, 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 I was listening to some uh, seminars in the last week or two, and one of them was talking about giving, and I was struck by one of the things this guy said. He said, "A lot of times when we in church leadership communicate about giving, we're talking about giving to. So we say, you know, give, give. You know, it could be simple like give candy to kids' fair, right? Give uh, financially to the current fund or to missionaries." He said, "What, what's really more important, and what we ought to focus on is giving from." that it's it's not the financial giving, it's not the substance and the stuff, it's the heart that God is most concerned about. It is the heart. That that whatever you have, to have this attitude of your heart, that says, I'm thankful for it. And whatever I have, I'm going to use it in a way that honors God and expresses faith and confidence and trust in Him. That could be stuff, it could be finances, it could be spiritual gifts. It could be your time and your skills, your talents. How many people do you think who watch that show, uh, I don't even know if it's still on, America's Got Talent, you remember that one? Is it still on? How many people who watch that, do you think know the origin of that word talent? Do you know the origin of that word talent? Talent was Greek money, essentially. The the parable of the talents that Jesus told, where he said, "You know, he gave this much to the one guy in uh, in Matthew twenty-five. You know, he gave five talents to one guy, two talents to another, and one talent to another guy. It it was money. It It was financial resources." But in the church, we have understood and in our culture, uh, we have infiltrated them the sense that anything that we have is a gift to be used. It's not just financial resources, but our skills, our voices, our, our musical abilities. Those are all things now that we think of as talents when back then it was just money. And that parable, if you remember, we don't have time to read it at length right now, but the the gist of it was the guy who had five talents put it to use and gained five more. The guy who had three talents put it to use and gained two talents more. The guy who had one talent buried it in the ground. Because he said his master, his employer, the head of the house, he knew was a hard master and would require it from him. And the guy who was the master said what? Well, then you should have put it at least in the bank so it would get some return, not bury it in the ground. It's so the message, and why we have a show called Americans has Got Talent, the message is that everything that we have is a gift from God to be put to use. If you want to make it real applicable, in other words whatever God has given to you, He's given it to you to use with thanksgiving for His purposes. So at root, that includes your breath, your very life itself. Overarching principles, right? But also, yeah, your financial resources. But also, your time. But also, your skills and your abilities. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone has to quit their you know, secular job and go into ministry, that's not always saying. You can use your banking abilities for the glory of God working for Wells Fargo or whoever it may be. You can use your ability to care and love people at a home health care person to love those people in a way that honors Jesus. You can use your gifts and abilities in conversation and persuasion to enter into the political arena and run for office for the glory of God. The difference in all of those things that outwardly you may or may not see is that in the heart, you are honoring Jesus and recognizing what He's given to you and living it out thankfully for His glory. Submitting it to Him, which means if he's, you know, you have the sense that, you know, you're living your whole life before Him. So all those little decisions, including what you do with the extra change that they accidentally gave you at McDonald's, to how you handle your finances as a small business owner, and what you do with the cash transaction, or how You do your taxes and figure out what your exemptions are or any other number of things, right? Are you doing it before the Lord, recognizing that anything and everything that you have is a gift from God that He would ask you to use? It is this idea of the God-ownership of all things that is really the only basis to say no stealing. Because if, if there is no God, and if there is a God who does not respect human beings, and who does not respect ownership of things then really all you have is survival of the fittest and why not go ahead and steal and kill and take because then you're the strong and you continue to survive Right, but because God owns all things, we, we have another paradigm. We have another understanding of how things work, and that is that God has created and he's, he's chosen to give things to us. He owns, but He's been generous. And that gets at the very heart of the matter, then, that it's not merely no stealing, but it's to live it, stewarding what God has given to us, which includes cultivating a spirit of generosity where we hold loosely to what he has given to us. And we care for it as if it's not our own because it is God's and not our own's. He actually owns it. He is the one who has given so generously to us that the Scriptures would say, you know that our Lord Jesus, for your sake, though He was rich, became poor. That you might have the righteousness of Christ. That's that's the paradigm. You You want to know how to hold loosely. You look at Jesus who said, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to trust our plan, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I'm willing to enter in for you. To give generously to you. And if you know the Lord Jesus, that's that's what He's wanting to work in you, right? That's what He is working in you. You know when 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 we had the kids fair, we had all those folks working in games. had people show up, who didn't sign up for anything. We just do whatever jobs needed to be done, right? We had those who stuck around afterwards, cleaning up, and and doing those thankless jobs, right? That no one sees. We have people there setting up. We have people giving candy. what's going on there is that Jesus is working in you, this spirit of generosity. Why? That makes no sense to the eyes of the world. That's one of the beauties of why we serve in these kind of ways to our community because it makes them ask the question, what are these people doing? What would move a teenager to stand out here for a couple hours and work these games and smile and love these children that come? Jesus. Right? This community of following Jesus. What what would move many of our members to go to elementary schools and now to have the elementary schools come here to spend time with little kids who may or may not be hyperactive and cooperative, right? It is this generosity of spirit. What would move people in a pandemic to give of their precious financial resources to continue to support the church and its ministry and work? It's Jesus working in us. So what, what are those ways as we go forward? You know, one of the things I think we're going to do in this next year, we haven't quite solidified our plans for the new year, but one of the things I think we were hitting on this year and didn't quite figure it out, but I've been thinking through and praying through, is leadership development. And we have so many leaders and you know what? I've had the wrong paradigm myself about leaders. Like, you know, I, I want to have more leaders. I want to have more elders. I want to have more deacons, you know, because like many hands make light the work, right? It's, it's a lot to do and we're all really tired, right? That's the wrong reason. It's an okay reason. It's not the best reason and it's not even a good reason. It's kind of selfish. What's the reason we ought to have leaders? More leaders. You know what the reason is? Because you guys have those gifts. And God has given them to you, so you know we're we're kind of sinning against you if we don't help you put them to use. Whatever your gifts are. And whether you realize it or not, if you, you merely work in the nursery helping with the children, or you merely work with the teachers and the, the, the children's Sunday school, if you merely come to a Good News Club and assist them, that, that's a leadership position. And I'm using merely... Is that sarcastically, ironically, whatever the right word is, right? I don't mean, man, it's a big deal. But you probably don't think it is. It's a big deal to be an elder, it's a big deal to, to take a leadership position in a ministry, those kind of things. But you know what? You have the gifts. And you're really not going to be satisfied until you're using your gifts with this gratitude. Because the thing about God giving gifts, the thing about God sharing what He has, is that ultimately, it it is this beautiful testimony to the way He values you. It's it's God saying, "I, I trust you with these things. He doesn't leave you alone. He sent His Spirit, right? But He's saying, I respect you so much so that I'm going to entrust you with your children. You know, y- y- young moms and dads, that's, you know, that's a paradigm shifter right there. That's a, a mindset shifter to say, you know what, these children are, are a gift from God. You know, to use your, your bank account, this is a gift from God. To use your time your skills, your talents, to put them to use. Because essentially God is saying, I value you. And I have sent my Son to set you free from sin and selfishness and to make you who you really can be as you put the things I give you to use as you use them for my glory, as you use them with thankfulness. Yeah, you might be tired. You, you might be uh, worn out. You might even sometimes be exhausted and at the end of your rope. But you know what? You'll have a satisfaction. And you'll have this confidence moving forward that you won't have if, 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 you're, if you're not follow where the Lord would have you to go, you will not have the confidence to to claim that promise that one day Jesus will look at you and say well done, good and faithful servant. And you'll take your crowns and you'll cast them before his feet because you know, you know what, it was Jesus. Which is the ultimate thing that happens as you use the gifts he's given, you know you're going to mess up, but when you repent and turn to him, he says I know. And we can work through it. That's the way he works, right? Because he's doesn't expect perfection from you, he expects repentance. So every one of us can have a new start today. You know, Examine your time, examine your talents, examine your treasures and say, Lord, am I putting these to use with thankfulness? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy for the great gift of life. Lord, and how much more so for the gift of a new life in Jesus. It was enough that you created us and made us after your image, Lord. But then when we turn from you and we charge you with unfairness and injustice, you would send your son while we were yet your enemies to lay down your life for us and set us free. Open our eyes, our hearts. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the ways that you are so very obviously putting the gifts of your people to work. I mean, Lord, in this pandemic season, we, we, we look at the finances and say, wow, it's tight. And yet, Lord, you, you have provided. You have moved your people to give. We are thankful for that. Lord, we, we look at the ministries we're able to do and we say, Lord, it is so hard making decisions in these days. It's so hard stepping out and doing this or that. And yet you have raised up people to do just that. Lord, would you continue that? Would you bless us, Lord, with this attitude of gratitude and thankfulness? and Put it all together and use it for your glory, for your kingdom purposes. And we'll give you the praise for that like King David. We will just stand in awe. In fact, Lord, would you work in such mighty ways that there's just no temptation to take any credit. We just say, wow, look at what God did. We pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.